a gun. <laughs> okay. Good morning. I think I want to just sort of finish um, something I've been teaching on about worship for a, a couple of weeks and um, just want to read you some verses from the book of Revelation. So if you've got your Bibles, great. If not, it's okay. So chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7. Sorry, I'm going to go back to chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. So, this is the scene in heaven that, um, when you read Revelation, you have to understand it's a kind of look at how heaven views things, not how we view things. It's very difficult for you to sort of read Revelation with your, if you like, your logic, reason, head on, because it's not really in our time thanks it's, it's not really in our time scale so like there's a great verse that uh, it quotes in the scripture that says a day is like a thousand years to the lord and a thousand years is like a day so i have no idea where book of revelation is in those thousand years one day is it a thousand years is it a day who knows because it's all very different to god but during this sort of look that john has the apostle by the way, just, just a, lot, a bit of a side, John the Apostle is put onto the island of Patmos because, you know, most of the, the apostles were murdered. They were hung or they were stoned or whatever, um, and they couldn't kill John. How bizarre. So they put him on an island that was deserted to sort of, he can't be any trouble there. And then he comes up with revelation. It's like, bad move, bad move, right? You know. So, but he, as I've been talking about worship, it's very difficult to, to read the book of Revelation and not encounter times when worship in heaven is recorded. So I want to sort of, I think, um, let's start from verse 1 of, of Revelation chapter 5. And the, the words will come up on the screen. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? So before, we can stay on that verse, that's fine, stay on that verse. But, I don't know if you understand, but heaven is... A very legal place. It's a shame that we couldn't get you all here on Tuesday night. Some of us did um, some teaching about what, what it means biblically to, to understand that heaven is a very legal place in the sense that 
It's called the courts of heaven. Have you ever wondered why it's called the courts of heaven? Because that's where things are decided on by God. Why is he sitting on a throne? Because that's where things are decided by him who sits on the throne. So one of the things that we also know about scriptures is that scrolls contain quite a few different types of things. And one of the things that we can read of in Psalms somewhere, it says, all my days are written in. Every one of my days has already been recorded. And it's almost like we have this scroll of our days and, and it's like, whose hands is that in? My days, the future, my future, my past, everything about me. Where is, who's holding that scroll? Who is deciding for, for me what will come into my life and what will be the results of that? The Father is so incredibly loving of you and me, but not in a way that we understand love. Because to us, the way love happens is nothing ever goes wrong in your life and you get everything that you want. That's not love. You know, that's not love. I remember being at school and I know that sort of other people will have experienced this and, and getting bullied. Get, particularly for me because I was a Christian. Well, actually, not just because I was a Christian, because I also had some moles on my neck, which I had taken off after I left school, which wasn't a great idea. Perhaps before would have been more. But, you know, somebody when I was working at, at, at British Steel, one of the guys set there said, I hate kids. I said, oh, he says, I went to school with them. You know, you know the idea, you know, that they're probably the most cruel bunch of people that you can get, like, you know, they're so horrible to each other. But I remember going through that, and, you know, who wouldn't have wanted God to step in at that point and keep all the nastiness away from you, and keep you away from everything that can go wrong? But that's, that's not how it works. But what he is, is with you in it, and he brings you through it, and you find something that maybe not everyone else around you has during those times. So we'll move on. So that's why I mentioned the scroll, because there's lots of different scrolls. Um, but ne next verse, no, no one in heaven or on earth could, uh, could, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. It's a very important scroll. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, now for those of you who don't know the picture of heaven, you have a throne room, you have God sitting on the throne, there's angels everywhere, there's four living creatures, which we have no idea what they really are like, but they've got six wings, eyes everywhere, and look like different creatures, all sorts of strange things. They're around the throne, but then you've got 12 thrones sat around the throne, which... 12 elders sit on. Some people have said, or 24, sorry, 24 thrones around the throne, which some people have said is the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes representing the old and the new. It doesn't really matter what it represents in this sense. We just know that one of those who was sat on those thrones, they're called elders, said to me, don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Man, I don't know about you, but I would love to be going through a difficult time and say, oh God, what is happening? And have one of heaven's hosts say to me, 
Don't worry. Behold, the lion of the tribe. He's coming for you. You know, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And I looked. Now, what did the Bible just say? Behold what? The lion? Behold the lion? You know that's what you and I want to be there. The victory, the power. That's what we want to be on our side. But when he turns to look, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Behold the lion! And I looked and I saw the lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. Don't get me started on what all those mean, because that's not what we're here for. But there's so much in this book of Revelation. But I want to move on, if you'll bear with me, to these next few verses. Verse 7, yep. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. I don't know what's going on in heaven, but apparently there's 24 elders and, and these angels who have all of our prayers in incense bowls around God the Father every single day. That's a great place for your prayers to be going. When you start praying to God and think, oh, he's ever hearing me. Think of these creatures and these people, these men, women, whatever, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. That's you and that's me. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we'll reign on the earth. Let's keep going. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the thro throne, living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10 thousands and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And everyone said, some said, <laughs> verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. This must have been noisy. This must have been loud. This must have been chaotic. This must have been crazy. 24 elders all over the place. I know they keep falling down all the time, these 24 elders. Strange creatures. Thousands upon thousands of angels. And then every creature in heaven... I don't know what every creature in heaven is. I don't think it just means cats and dogs, everyone. And them on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea. Do you know, whenever this takes place, whether it's 
a future event, whether it's something that all of creation already sees now. But even the sea creatures are going to join in with these words. I don't know how they do that. I don't know what they do. You know, whatever that sounds like in, <laughs> in sea language. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, it, but what they'll be saying is blessing and honor to him. And I heard <laughs> such as are in the sea and all that are in them. And I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb forever. See who they're talking of. God the Father. God the Son. That's who they're talking about there. Okay. Maybe there's one more verse. I don't know. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. We could join in. Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him. They're falling down again. Who lives forever and ever. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice, like thunder, come and see. Just leave it there, thank you. I couldn't do that justice. I couldn't do that justice by speaking. That scene would, will be and is just crazy, just wonderful, just amazing. And that's what worship is. We've been doing a little bit of a look at what worship is, and it's like playing a guitar, isn't it? You know what I mean? I, I was brought up in uh, a time when, in church, when we sang hymns. Hymns are absolutely amazing. And the lady who used to um, lead us in that played what was known as the pump organ, you know, them big ones, where they're doing that. And, and but, but we would rouse the roost couple of particular hymns we really let go with. My Chains Fell Off was one of those. 324 in Redemption Hymnal. You knew that one. You knew where that was. My chains fell off. And everybody was up. And my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And you got harmonies going on because the men would go... My chains fell off. There you go, I heard it, I heard it. My heart was free. Yes. And this was a, you know, I mean, just as I'm saying it, you're smiling and all of that. But you imagine being with 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people, just belting that out with all your heart. Because that's what you did. You know? Things have moved a lot in, in worship. And I'm not saying that everything is bad, but I'm not saying everything's good either. There needs to sometimes be that completely, whoa, losing it, falling down. Having the creatures outside join in because they hear what's going on. But I was brought up in a different era, in an era when... Time was about hymns. But I, I kind of look now and I think, God, when I read Revelation, are we any nearer to heavenly worship now 
than we were then. When we read about what went on in heaven and what will go on in heaven and the effect that worship had in heaven, are we any nearer? Because to me, that is what worship is. So there's a couple of things I wanted to share with you this morning. Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 22, verse 3. I've not written all the verses down, so I will be needed to go through some of them on these scriptures. But Psalm 22, verse 3 says, You are holy, and you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. Can I just make this clear to you? When the Bible says something like this, that the Lord, another translation, and I think it's probably not the new King James, but maybe the old King James says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I think I was brought up with that version of it. The Lord, there you go. (laughs) You inhabit the praises of Israel. I have always believed worship and presence are inseparable. I've always believed that when worship is taking place, that he visits. The saddest thing for me is that he visits and we didn't know. Surely the Lord was in this place, Jacob says, after he's had his dream. Do you remember him having his dream? The ladder? And he wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know. I think that's the state that we are in very often, that the church is in very often, that the presence of God could be sitting right amongst us and we didn't know. Because I wonder what worship is about for us. We mentioned it last week, that sometimes it's about making us feel better. Sometimes it's about us enjoying it. I had a great time at the conference I went to last, last week, and they had some, man, did they have a worship team, a band? You know, we're, we're brilliant, by the way. But these were like, it's all right. I can talk louder than you. <laughs> That's okay, darling. It's okay. Don't worry. My grandchildren love to be heard. I don't know where they get it from. (laughs) Probably their granddad, you know. But that's okay. I would rather they were in the presence, encountering what God is doing, hearing the word of God. You know, you don't think they hear things. You don't think they see things. but, But my own grandchildren, they can mimic me. They have a guitar and they do this with the leg because that's what granddad does. (laughs) And I have to say to you, that is an incredible feeling. Not that they're doing that for me, but that they're being impacted. doesn't matter how simple that looks to you. To them, that's an encounter of some sort, you know. We once had a little, in fact, I think you might remember this, Joe, I don't know. We once had a little baby in the room. Not so little. And that little baby was sat right there with a mummy. Yeah, you were sitting, Tony. And we were worshipping. And as the worship went on, this little baby started to laugh. It was just strange. 
because I heard they'd never laughed before and never laughed since. That's what I've been told. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> but it was not like a chuckle or a, you know, being tickled or just, it, it was like just out of nowhere, just started laughing. And clearly that child was feeling at that moment in time something happening. And I want to suggest to the rest of you what was going on for us because we missed it. A little child encounters the presence of God and is just full, is like one of the creatures, one of the elders being messed around by it, you know, being overwhelmed by it. And here's us all stood around it, you know, in control. We're okay. We're having a nice time. There comes a point where worship is absolutely the place where he comes to dwell. He comes to rest. In fact, that word inhabits is a, I don't know the Hebrew word. I couldn't pronounce it if I did. But it means he comes to set an ambush. That's a strange definition of the Hebrew word. He comes to set an ambush. And I've got to tell you, these are the kind of things that have happened during worship. There was a lady sat on this front here some time back who couldn't move her arm because she'd got something wrong with it and it was very painful. And halfway through the worship, her arm was right up. And I said, are you okay? She said, I've just been healed. No one was, no one was praying for her. So what happened? He set an ambush. I'm going to have you. When you start worship, I'm going to, I'm going to, Sneak up behind you, and I'm going to sort you out. We've had people just literally just collapse in their chairs, and that's a bit scary because you think, is that normal? You know what I mean? Are they allowed to do that? But like, be unconscious, fall unconscious during worship, but you can tell they're still alive because they're breathing, so you're okay, you know? And be unconscious for the whole service. Miss the preaching, you have to carry them out to the car afterwards. Because he set an ambush during the worship. It's you I'm after, and I'm chasing after you. And if I have to take you out for, a, for an hour, for two hours, to have time with me, I'll get you. When we worship, he's going to set an ambush on someone. Of course, we're all a bit too smart for it, aren't we? A bit too clued in with, with uh, resisting. And he's saying, just let go. Just let go. Numbers chapter 2. This is just to, to show you what the Bible kind of links the presence of God and worship all the time. So in, in Numbers chapters, chapter 2, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and unto Aaron, saying, verse 2, Every man of the... Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard, in other words, his own flag. Each tribe had a different flag. Beside the emblems of his father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, towards the rising of the sun, those of the standards of the forces with Judah camp according to their armies. I won't go any further with that. How it looks is they've got the tabernacle and on one side you have three tribes, 
on the top you have three tribes, down the other side you have three tribes, and on the front you have three tribes. Three, six, nine, twelve. Twelve tribes. Encamping around the tabernacle. Somebody put it this way. They encamped around the presence. And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 9, verse 17, when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud rested, they camped. So what was it they were following? The cloud? No. The cloud represented his presence. When the cloud moves, they pitched up the tent and they went wherever the cloud, cloud went, wherever the presence took them. That's a really serious question to ask you guys. When was the last time the cloud moved for you? Do you even know what the cloud looks like? And I'm not on about the one for your phone. <laughs> it's got all the stuff in it that you don't really need anymore. But it's, I don't mean that. I'm on about his presence. How are we led by? How do we know what it's like? So that's why I think worship is becoming something that we need to kind of pay real serious attention to because if that's when we encounter his presence, then we'll become familiar with his presence. We'll, we'll know when he's moving. We'll know when he wants us to move. So they encamped around the presence. David took it one step further in 1 Chronicles chapter 26. Um, I don't want to read all this because there's too many verses, but basically Saul was the king before David. And the Philistines came and they took the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's not the one on Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's not the one where you take the lid off and all kind of ghouls come out. That's not like that. But it is like that in the sense that that's the shape of it, but inside the ark were certain items. But what the ark represented was the presence of God. So Saul, who was the king of Israel, who needed God's presence, allowed it to go and never did anything about it. When David becomes king, the first thing he says is, where's the ark? Let's go and get it back. What is he saying? Your presence at the center of my life, your presence at the center of our nation, your presence at the center of our church. If we haven't got that, we're just souls. We can do it without him. I don't want us to be that. I don't want us to be that on our own. I don't want us to be that as a, as a church. I want us to have the presence at the center of what we do. When I first began to experience what this meant, having God at the center, having the presence of God visible um, physically in your meetings, I decided that we would stop some things that we used to do as tradition. And one of those was communion. We stopped it for a while. Because it was little squares of bread in little cups at the end of the service, when everything was finished, oh, we're going to just take communion as we finish this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Amen. God bless. Bye. Good night. Done. And it was like, no. Unless there's something more about 
Do you know, if there's one place the presence should be around, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I began to seek God. How do we make that about the presence? And God began to give me some ideas and some thoughts. And, and so one day I came with two big crusty loaves. And we always had the little squares, you know what I mean? And the little cups. And we dedicated this whole morning to trying to encounter during the communion. So I said, imagine that this bread represents the size of your sin, the size of your difficulty, the size of the issue that's running through your life. And as you take communion this morning, don't wait for a little piece. Take as big as you need. However big you think your need is, take a big piece. If you want the whole loaf, take it. And the reason for that was that people would then engage with, well, God, I'm coming to you in, in my capacity. It's not like you've passed me the size of bread and that's what I'll do and I'll just thank you for... It's like, no, I'm coming because I need you. And people were healed. And people were healed as they took the bread because it became a place of encounter, a place of presence. And that's what worship is supposed to teach us. It's a place. So David gets the ark, brings it back. There is a story that goes along, by the way, that it gets put in the house, uh, in the um, Philistines keep it where they keep their own god, Dagon. And their god, Dagon, is like some metal statue thing and they put the ark in front of it and they're coming in the morning and Dagon's fell on the floor, you know. And so they pick him up, you know, and, and stand him up again, you know. And they come, come, come the next morning, he's on the floor, he's broken pieces. It's like, this is just a statue. This is the very presence of God. And you may have a day gone in your life. Something you can't get rid of, something you can't sort out, something you can't, it just controls you, it just makes you feel. Invite the presence. Day gone will collapse. He can't stand against the presence of God. So David eventually gets the ark back and puts it in a tent. He doesn't put it in the tabernacle. There isn't a tabernacle to put it in. He puts it in a tent, just in a building called Regis Christian Fellowship. He puts the ark in a building, and then he sits, sets worshippers around it 24-7. You're not allowed to get that near in the Old Testament. In fact... It was so wrong what David did. He should have been in trouble for it. It was against the law. But somebody put it beautifully. He looked ahead into the future and he saw what worship looked like in the future and he brought it into his day. Because worship is about being 24 at sevens available to the presence of God. God did great things for him. So what does the presence of God look like in church? We had a funeral here. You're not supposed to have God's presence at funerals, are you? That's solemn. Mm -hmm. you know? We're here, Lord. Remember our dear. 
And we had a, a beautiful sister who, who passed away, and I'd been with her on her journey and the family on her journey through to um, through, through cancer, and, and she eventually passed away. But her and her family were really well known in the area. Um, so, yes, became Christians, but had a real history of belonging to the community. So lots of people in pubs and all of that would know, would know this beautiful sister. So we invited, and the family invited people to come, and over 300 people came. We had to have them outside, we had to have the back doors open, we, had, we couldn't get them all in. And then afterwards, we were invited to the wake, which was at a pub, which Yvonne and I went to, and we managed to get out sober. Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Just throw that in for you all. And we got to talk to a lot of these people. And do you know what? I couldn't tell you how many said it to us, but they came to us and said, what was that? I said, what do you mean? What was that that we felt at church? We've never felt anything like it before. And what they were experiencing was the presence of God. Do you remember what I told you last week about Moses when he sees the burning bush and he says, what's that? And what was it? It was the presence of God. There's something that... Oh, I don't know how many ways and times I can say it, but there's something about getting what this presence of God is. And it's not a, it's not a doctrine, a teaching, a, a phrase that we just throw out so easily when we go to churches and we say, oh, God's presence was amazing. It's like, no, you don't know, you don't know. If God's presence was there, you'd be falling down like the elders. Two Chronicles, chapter 5, verse 14. Please put that up for me, Ian. Two Chronicles 5, verse 14. Does church look like this? Solomon dedicates the temple. He has over a thousand sacrifices. He gets up and prays for an hour, dedicating the temple. It says, go to the verse before it, sorry if you don't mind, verse 13. It, didn't, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpet and the cymbals and the instruments and the bass and the keyboard and the violin and what else do we want to put in there? Recorder, drums. Yes, I should have got drums in first. <laughs> Symbols was in there. We'll get, that's just part of the drums. And they praised the Lord saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. That the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud. Oh God, fill this place with the cloud. Because this is the next verse is what church should look like. It's crackers. So the priest couldn't minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord fills They can't minister. I mean, would you would pray for it. You wouldn't have to have me preach. <laughs> It'd be brilliant. Just go, God, visit you. And I'll tell you what, he'll visit. He'll visit in worship, but under one condition. There's a condition. 
So you're, you're the, it's your fault I'm still standing. <laughs> you're not fulfilling the condition. Does anybody know what it is? What do you think it is, brother? Do you know what it says? Something to do with the spirit? Yeah. It says, it says this. I don't know what verse it is, but I'm just going to make it up. Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he's saying, and she says to him, we worship in this mountain, you worship in that mountain, which is the right one? He says, you've got it wrong, love. You've got it wrong. It isn't about the, wor- the, the, the where. It's about the how. He says, those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now get it? You haven't, you haven't got the best bit yet. For those are the ones he is seeking. He's not coming. He's not seeking because he's waiting. And now this is harsh because you're all thinking, what are you saying to him? We can be singing but not singing in spirit. Our spirit needs to be singing. When our spirit's singing, we're in a different realm. I've seen it. We've experienced it. Some of you can do that quite easily. And I don't mean singing in tongues. That's not what singing in, that's not what the Spirit is, he's talking of here. He's on about the kind of spirit worship that would cause us to fall down on our face because we're seeing things that aren't in this realm. We're overwhelmed by what's in his. But we're too, and I don't say this critically because it's not your fault. Right? We are so physically, naturally, earthly minded. And one of the things about our earthly mindset is this you've got to stay in control. You know, you can't have people think that you're crackers. I eventually got one of my friends from work, when I used to work at British Steel, eventually got him to come to church. Bald headed, sorry, those of you who are bald headed. Bald-headed, um, sales rep, womanizer, liar, cheat. And, and he agreed to come. And he says, oh, when I saw him on the Monday, he says, I didn't know what to do. He says, people were raising their hands. He says, was I supposed to? So, so he come with, with a, what I'd call a conscience. He come with a conscience. What, is this right? Is that right? Should I do? Should I do that? Those who worship in spirit don't care. Those who worship in spirit, that conscience bit, do I look silly? Am I, am I make, you know, I'm making it. How many times people have said to me, don't ask me to sing because, you know, I can't sing. And I often think to myself, you're probably one of the most spiritual people who could encounter God then. Because if you can sing with a voice like that, you obviously don't care what people think. <laughs> I've heard others come and go, and we want, they want us to hear their voice. You know? They're beautiful singers, they want to hear their voice. I just want that part of you that cries out to him that says, I was looking for the lion and I saw the lamb. Whoa! 
He's looking for the lion, so he's all fired up and everybody's really excited, sees the lamb and they go, oh God, we're undone. Oh God, whoa! And they fall on their faces at the sight of what they saw. Those who worship in spirit, see. See a different realm. Oh, look at the time. God bless you for keeping. I have no idea that the time has gone by. Father's looking for. That's the bit I want you to see. He inhabits the praises, so he'll come. And he's looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. He'll come. And when he does, I don't mind the mess. I really don't. If you know me, I don't mind the mess. I think it's, it's right. Last story I'll tell you, I was, I was I met with a church of 500 people and I was asked to, lead, to teach their 12, sorry, 20-odd strong worship team who were all um, musically trained at Oxford or Cambridge and I have no qualifications in music and I was asked to teach them about worship. I said, it's very simple. You can read music. I can read the spirit. If I can teach you to do that, this place will change. So I talked to the guy who was the lead of their worship thing and I said, do you know the most important thing is if the presence comes, you might have a bit of a mess in your church. He says, that will never happen here. The worship leader. He says, when people come in off the street, we don't want them to be embarrassed. I thought, wait till you get to heaven, mate. <laughs> it's going to be a bit weird there, you know. Thank you guys for listening. There's so much, isn't there, further for us to go. Please, this is not about saying you got it right, you got it wrong. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to meet him in a different realm than you used to. Because it's, it's awesome and powerful. Thank you very much for listening this morning. God bless you. We are stopping for a tea and coffee and a biscuit and a cake. So I'll sing quickly, pray quickly. <laughs> and we'll get the kettle on. Because we wouldn't want the Lord to turn up, you know what I mean, and inter interrupt the tea and coffee. <laughs> I am not naughty all the time, just most of the time, sorry. <laughs> okay.
take our tithes and offerings and sing that one, yeah?
for your presence here today and your amazing word about you, Lord. I just take, let's take your blessing out with us to the streets, Lord, and to the people going to meet today and in the week. And I just bless every family member here, Lord, and we just take that out with us, Lord, and just show everyone your amazing love for us. Amen.